speed that shit up. Bring in the energy. Episode 99, bitch. Much like with Tyler the Creator's new album Igor, that was all self-produced and written and recorded by mm, us. Impressive. We did it first. A tour work, and we bought a mic. Hello, and welcome to the incredible, the amazing, the one and only. We bought a mic uh, with your weekly catch-up here this week. <laughs> I'm Ernest. I am Hunter. Episode ninety-nine, boys. We're almost there. I don't know if we'll make it to it. About yeah, and uh, Drew Dietzen is here as well. Hi, Wait, thank you for introducing me. I hate introducing myself. It's all right. I got you. I got you. Uh, we're doing catch up today with our 99th episode, and then in a few days you will be hearing a special 100 episode look at the Before trilogy. We'll be diving in o- over the course of 100 episodes mm-hmm. into the films. Oh, I thought you were just going to talk about life before the podcast. Yeah. That's what we were talking about. The 3 years oh, that I lived before That was we that was what I prepared for was uh for the 100th episode doing top 100 episodes of, oh, right, of right, we bought right. starting from the worst, yeah, which would ranking, be ranking which would be them. the 100th if we did that segment because that would be horrible <laughs> to listen to. Number 1 episode 0. Yeah, and then past that it basically just goes chronologically. Does that mean that technically <laughs> this is the 100th episode because there was an episode 0? Oh shit. Oh fuck. You're right. We're here we are. It's too late now. We've all right, number number one hundred. <laughs> well, if you count all of the bonus, the commentary tracks, the Game of Thrones, so we're well over one hundred happened. Point. We didn't even realize. Yeah. It. Fuck. Um. All right. Well, that'll be uh on the feed in a couple of days. But right now, we're gonna dive into some ketchup because we got a lot of ketchup to uh salivate over and smell and just slurp up. This is Whataburger spicy ketchup today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so each one of us is going to recap some things that we've been watching. Um, and we may dive variety. into uh, a little bit of Tyler, the Creator's new album, Igor. But we are planning a big old mid-year album check-in episode in a couple of weeks. Featuring Danny Sewani. Yes. So if we don't get to, to Igor, it'll definitely be covered on that episode, along with a whole bunch of other musical uh, ketchup. Um, but we we might we might touch on it. Who it's knows? a good it's a good album. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, you could pretty much just go in your podcast show notes and tell whether or not. Yeah. We're going to touch on you it. You already not, know. Yeah. You already know. You know. We know. Yeah. We don't even know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, so I'll start with a film that I watched this week called the fall Mm. has anyone heard of the fall 2006 i had not heard of it until you said something about it does it have any relation to the tv show that my parents really were into about Uh, four years ago same thing no 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 not at all i i do know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. um is that oh no it i know this definitely has nothing to do with it (laughs) no way no it's uh (laughs) what's her name Gillian Anderson, yeah, from uh, X Files and uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, so we're, we're not talking about that. We're talking about 
the 2006 film The Fall, which is kind of like a cult film at this point because it didn't really make much of a splash when it came out. It, Judging uh, by the screenshots of the movie I'm looking at, it might be a literal cult film. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, that's a good way to kind of uh, dive into my thoughts because this is one of those films that for years, you know, it's it's been, it's existed for over a decade at this point. It's just made the rounds online on Tumblr and Twitter as like this aesthetically, uh, just really captivatingly uh, visual film. And that's all that that i knew about it that it had these incredible striking images yeah shit looks very good it was so so crazy um but yeah i mean it premiered in 2006 at i think the toronto international film festival and it wasn't released in uh actual full-fledged release until 2008 and at that point it had been picked up by david fincher and spike jones who presented the film. They're not producers on it. They were not involved in the production. Um, they just kind of like put their name on it mm. to be like, hey, we like this and we think people should yeah, see it. This shit's good. Um, it only made $3 million at the box office. Yikes. Worldwide. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. So it uh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, viewed. And upon research, the, the filmmaker, his name is uh, Tarsum. Mm -hmm. Tarsum Singh mm -hmm. he's this Indian guy and I, I saw a few interviews with him and he seems like a really tough dude to work with mm -hmm. you know in interviews he just wasn't the most professional guy uh kind of uh, angled his questions towards really strange answer or the the answers to his questions towards really strange territories and it, it a lot of times that is a kind of make it or break it thing in Hollywood. It's just how you conduct yourself. Yeah, are you a shithead? Yeah. And it's getting harder and harder to work if you're a shithead. And this guy, he self-financed this film, right? He put his all of his money into it. He had the idea from this 1981 Bulgarian film called Yoho Ho, <laughs> uh, which is who knows that you know there's yeah. i couldn't find anything on that movie it, it translates roughly to a pirate's life for me <laughs> in english and he he had the idea uh for like 20 years he spent 17 years looking for all of the locations about uh, of where he was going to shoot this film that's um, crazy and then he spent four and a half years actually shooting the film uh so the film itself it's this really fantastical story set uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, sort of at the dawn of movies, uh, when 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 film was kind of starting to become this fully fledged medium, and it's the story of this stuntman who is played by Mr. Lee Pace, who yeah. we stand. I'm on shocked this that you haven't said that yet. That's like... <laughs> yeah, he's on the poster, and that's another big reason why I've been so adamant about seeking this film <laughs> out. But he plays the stuntman who underwent an accident shooting a film and is just disabled in a hospital and he gets this little girl to hang out with him who's also at the hospital who essentially lost her home in a fire um, and she kind of broke her arm and that's why she's in the hospital with a cast on and it's this amazing tale that's all made up of him he he tells the story to her to just kind of entertain her and keep her around and, and have company. But he also has a motive. 
And that's just something that we kind of uncover throughout the course of the story, that he wants this girl to go to the n- another area in the hospital and bring him um, drugs, bring mm-hmm. him painkillers. And that's he's creating this fantastical world to reel this little girl in to just go and get him pills. <laughs> and that ends up being this really captivating through line in the film where we, we keep jumping to this insanely looking fantastical world that's it reminded me a lot of alice in wonderland because a lot of the characters that we see in this world are played by some of the same actors that we see in the hospital because that's how this girl is sort of populating the the story the characters in the story that he's telling and it's a story of uh, it's an epic tale of revenge and love and uh it's it's insane it's it's the this cast of eclectic characters that uh, have all a different reason for uh, seeking revenge over this uh, barren guy. And uh, there's there's action and love and despair and all these things. But the movie soars because it was shot in these insane locations. It was shot in like over 20 different countries. Yeah. Oh and they didn't use any green screen or anything. This guy, he traveled the world shooting music videos and he would bring his cast to <laughs> these locations and uh the same crew that he would shoot these music videos and commercials and things, he would use to shoot the sequences in the film mm. and just trade out what was in front of the camera. And Listeners, just go, just go and, and look up the fall two thousand six on Google Images. Yeah, and like every shot from this movie is like some of the most gorgeous looking shit you will ever see. It's outrageously it's, cool looking. It's insane. Yeah, it's it's visually mm. stunning. Honestly, I'm wondering how he, because you, like you said, he shot a lot of like really big time commercials and some music videos. This movie had a thirty million dollar budget. Like, why? That's a quite a bit of money to self fund. I mean, Leap Pace isn't a movie star you know we know him because we like his work we think he's a talented actor but this movie doesn't have any star power at all it doesn't have any special effects Mm -hmm. so much the entire budget went towards like sets and costumes costumes. and the costume design as well is so damn good um i don't see who the costume designer was uh on wikipedia but my God, props to her because that's part of what makes this this movie so visually stunning. It's not just the locations and, and the look of, of these sets and all this stuff. It's the the amount of creativity and imagination put behind the, uh, the costumes as mm. well. So overall, I love this movie. The story itself, you know, we have this hospital setting. Um, it's not the most captivating thing. Every time we ju- we cut back to the hospital, I'm like, all right, can we like get back to this like really interesting, fantastical story that is like some of the most. It, I mean, some of the things that happen in this in this fantasy story is like the most insane visual ideas I've ever seen. Like, I was just saying, wow, every five seconds, audibly, <laughs> like, wow, wow. I can't even describe it. It's just a movie you have to see. Unfortunately, it was a little hard to find. I had to rent it at the public library. It's not available for streaming anywhere. You're a moral man, Ernest. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you that. (laughs) There are other means, yes. uh, (laughs) But, yeah, it's not available for streaming. Or, like, you can't even rent it or buy it on, on Amazon or Google Play or anything. So... 
just rented the DVD at my public library and, and had a great time watching it on, on my product- projector. This guy's directing credits are, like, wild. Because he has made, like, some R.E.M. Yeah. music videos. And then he made a movie in 2000 called The Cell. And then this in 2006. And then he directed um, 2011's Immortals. Which was a huge bomb whenever that we came could out. We be immortals. Yeah, that was what that song was made he, for. Then he um, did the Snow White movie. Yeah, Mirror, Mirror. And then he made in 2015 Selfless, the Ryan Gosling movie. With um, so oh, I don't ben think he's made. I don't Kingsley. think he's made a singer a single hit in any of his. Uh, yeah, movies. you mean self slash less. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's he's just trying to work at the, at that yeah. point you know but this movie was like his passion project like i said he self-financed it um and the other thing i wanted to mention is this little girl her name is kuntika uh no can cantinka cantinka untaru controversy uh, on the latest episode <laughs> of we bought a mic she is this little romanian girl she is phenomenal in this movie and she is so good because they, half the time she didn't even know she was being filmed like she developed such an intimate connection to lee pace they went through great lengths to trick her into thinking that lee pace was actually paralyzed that's fucked yeah that's like wild. no people on the I... set were pissed because they were also <laughs> being tricked uh. into thinking he he couldn't walk. nobody knew who lee pace was yeah. so they're just like ah, i guess this is just so lee technically guy. went like method then like offset like off uh screen was he just still wheeling himself around yeah that's yeah. so crazy. But that yeah. made it so the little girl actually thought that like he couldn't walk and mm. she would bring him ice cream and like sit with him and be very huh. mindful about his legs. How how old is she? Just about She's eight okay. uh in the film. And I just she hasn't been in anything. It, I guess she's not a good actress and they just got like a really genuine well, yeah. uh performance in this movie. Also not a ton of casting calls for little Romanian girls. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Oh my god, another thing I wanted to mention, because uh, I, I just watched as many little interview behind the scenes things as I could on I could find on YouTube. She uh the the director Tarsim, he speaks English in an Indian accent and she didn't know English when she started the film mm. and she started to speak English in an Indian accent because of his directing her. And he had to stop talking to her <laughs> and hire Romanian people to talk to her instead of him. In, but in English. Yes. <laughs> so that her English accent was uh, – uh, so her English had a Romanian accent, yeah. not an Indian That's accent. So wild. That's fucking crazy. Uh, he spent eight years trying to find the right actress for this role. So basically, the entire lifetime of this yeah, girl since she was born. Yeah, that's God. This guy's a madman. It's insane, insane. Really, um, with with uncompromising directors, there is like a line between them being just like really, you know, uh, insistent and being psychotic, <laughs> like full on psychotic. Which is again part of my point about like why he doesn't really get that much work. Yeah, because and he's making like he's all of this gonna shit. He's not going to make the next Marvel movie. He, he doesn't. Like, not. Yeah, he doesn't seem like the greatest guy to work with. Well, yeah, and if if you're like that and you're also not profitable, mm-hmm. <laughs> then where's yes, where's exactly. the exactly? Because like you know, Fincher's like a total asshole and he he's very meticulous, but he makes a lot of money. And the movies get you know the critical clout too. Yeah, I mean, people this movie, like his shit. This movie came out and no, it didn't make any sort of. I mean, of it splash. made it at TIFF. But that's about it. That's about the height of yeah, as the big yeah. But it didn't win any like yeah. festival awards or anything. So, uh, you, so you do recommend though? I would definitely recommend because it's it's just one of those movies that could never be replicated again. 
there's just no way that anybody is going to make anything like this again. Not like with practical no sets way. and everything. No, At this point, they would just put it in front of a green screen. Here's, here's the last big point I'll make is this movie is set at a time when cinema wasn't an established cultural thing. So when people think about when you read a book, right, just a written page and you Definitely. picture it in your head, what's happening in the story. It's going to be cinematic. It's mm. going to be like a movie because of the way that that medium has established itself yeah. in our culture and just how we perceive things. But the way this movie looks, it looks like how you'd imagine a story being told before we even knew what cinematic meant, what that even was. All of the colors and, and just the, so all of the have visual like... ideas are so inventive and imaginative that they don't they don't take place at any sort of actual realism or, or reality or anything. It's so fantastical. Well, I was wondering by looking at like just some pictures, some stills and everything else, is it like theatrical almost? Cause it really almost looks like, like an opera. Yeah. Like how that but, kind of setting looks. I mean, so it's very, the color palette is very defined. Yes. Very stark, saturated, bright colors. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the story itself, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to conjure up some examples to kind of, to kind of think here so there's a moment where uh, so we first meet our characters on this island and it's just this patch of sand this small patch of sand in the middle of the open ocean and there's like this dissolve where we 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 uh, cut to a flashback and we see this close-up of a butterfly that's like a still dead petrified butterfly and we dissolve to a huge wide of this island and it's like a perfect dissolve of this the, the the butterfly looks exactly like this island in in just how the water is shaped around the patch of sand and it's just this perfect dissolve and then the characters have to swim to the mainland and they find this tree that catches on fire and a man emerges from within the flaming reaches of the tree covered in black <laughs> that's something real that happens there's another moment later on when they uh, in encounter this greenery area in the middle this green oasis in the middle of a desert and they descend down into it and next thing you know you're in the middle of a forest and the this man falls into a huge group of natives that just rise from the ground like they are the ground and they just open up and catch him that that's something that happens in this movie like just insane visual ideas <laughs> insane visual ideas you had me at lee pace really so i yeah if you can if you can picture what i i described and it interests you and if you looked up uh, a visual reference of what this movie looks like seek it out yeah see for yourself uh, the fall, um, it's it's really a, a one of a kind work of art. As a movie, you know, it, it falls into certain trappings. You know, this like I said, the whole hospital subplot. Uh, it, it ends up on a on a fairly emotional note, just because Lee Pace is a phenomenal actor, and this they got a great performance out of this little girl. Mm. Uh, but you're really just there to just yeah to look at it to look at it yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the fall. So speaking of things with a defined color palette that take place somewhat in hospitals and also are very emotional. And we're shot going. abroad. Keep going. Shot abroad. Keep it going. Um, 
and also star a English actor. Is Lee, Lee Pace, Pace English? Is, not is he American? English. He's American. He looks British. Well, he was at one point British. Um, <laughs> Chernobyl. <laughs> HBO's cool. Chernobyl. All right. So I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to pop off about this. I'm going to go pee. You okay. guys can say your piece. However, I do think we that when – We can't spoil this. It's history. <laughs> I, I know, but I don't want to hear specifics about what happens in the show. Anyway, uh, I do think that when the show ends, we should just do like how we did with Barry, like a full-on catch-up thing. Okay. Because it's 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 generating a whole lot of buzz, and I'm really excited about it's it. It's only five episodes. So, oh, total? So, yeah. yeah so, so the like, final yeah, – It's about to be over. The final yeah. episode airs uh, – tomorrow night we're recording on sunday all right so yeah let's do a full-on chernobyl thing later but so i'll make it a long piece i've been i've been watching this show since the first episode aired uh because my girlfriend lee she was the one who really really wanted to see it i was like oh no this looks too rough this looks too real i don't know if i can sit through this this looks way too intense but i'm so glad i watched it and you know it was in the middle of thrones hype so it wasn't getting the attention it's getting now that Thrones is over, and rightfully so, because this show is – it's fucking masterful. Um, it's a tough sit, I would say. Uh, not a show to watch if you just want to, like, sit down and have a good old night. Um, I've been – I binged through the show. I was interested in the show from the beginning, but – there was kind of because the first two episodes I know were released first, and it was kind of it was left met with positive acclaim, but not like overly like this is must watch. And it seems like the critical appeal has really gone up the last few episodes, and it's understandable why because episode three and episode four of this show are genius, like near perfection, and some of the hardest things. Episode four specifically, it's Oof. one of the most difficult things that dark, I've ever had to watch. Dark shit. I mean, like... Probably, wow. like... I kind of want to say it's, like, the darkest episode of television I've ever seen in my life. It's it's incredibly dark Because, and you know, it's a real It's thing. real. No, that's that, and that's what makes this show more impressive than it's anything else. Events. Is that They don't try to make this too fantastical or anything else like that. Like, there are plenty of scenes which people might just call them, like, boring exposition dumps, but when they're just explaining how this works. But I love that because Chernobyl has always been a thing that kind of fascinates me on how did this happen? Like, how, as a human society, do we let this happen and basically eliminate this giant section of an entire country is just completely uninhabitable? Well, now now there's wildlife that's thriving there. Yeah. Just decades later, life has found a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no humans there anymore. There, there can't be. It's It's a radiation hub. And I mean, you do see a lot of that. I thought episode four, one of the things that was really cool is they bring in. Um, I mean, it, we're not really going to spoil anything. Like I said, we'll save that for later on. Um, but the performances in the show are amazing. Stellan Skarsgård is just yeah. the top of his list. And really, it's an amazing performance by him because at first you see him and like you're like, I hate this guy. He just is like this suit. He's like a, a deputy. Um, He's part of of uh, Gorbachev's. Yeah, kind he's of part cabinet. of like the inner circle. Yeah, there. Um, there is one scene in particular which is my favorite scene of this entire show that we see in episode three, where um, a member of their group of their party gets arrested by the KGB, and they try and like talk to them. And the way that he explains what the KGB is, how KGB we aren't just like this 
ultimate police force. We're a circle of author. We're a circle of um accountability. Accountability. And he's like, look at me. I'm the head of everything, and I'm still being held accountable by these two guys over yeah. here. And then there's people behind them that are holding them accountable. Like this is this way that that is all portrayed is so beautiful and also terrifying. A lot of the things about this show really kind of show the downfalls of uh, socialism and the Soviet Russia because they're yeah. the reason why so many people died and were met with this horrible radiation is because Russia is all about, you know, it, it's just you do the you do your job because whenever you tell somebody the truth, the truth ignites fear and fear prevents people from doing their jobs. And that's how we succeed in society is just everybody just putting their head down and doing their job. But there's another huge uh, component in addition to that, which is the fact that the Russians, the Soviets, they're obsessed with the appearing very strong in the eyes of the yeah, world. Yeah, they don't want to ask for help. Even exactly. when, like, this is a horrible, like, one of the biggest tragedies ever is happening. And... There's this Russian sense of pride where they do not, under any circumstances, want people to know exactly how bad they fucked up with this disaster. And that ends up harming the people... Uh, the the efforts to 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 deal with it because if they were honest about exactly how how dire this is and how much help they need, it they could have cleaned it up more successfully. And, oh, absolutely! And I the mean, show... they they talk about how like pretty much if they would have brought the Americans into it, the Americans had better technology yep. at the time that they could have fixed this whole thing and prevented a lot of this, but. This is during the middle, like, the height of the Cold War. They're mm -hmm. not going to go and ask the Americans for help. And, and you know, your, to your point about, like, the truth, it's so, it's so pertinent to our times now in, in this Trump era of, of fake news and enemy of the people and deception and lies and corruption that it shows a, a government, a nation that was going out of their way to cover up this fuck up this horrible disaster and 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 constantly undermining and and obstructing the people that were trying to get to the bottom and trying to get to the truth of the matter of how this actually happened and at every turn they're met with opposition to reveal these facts and, and this truth and uh that just goes to to something that i saw on twitter where the reason why the show is so good is because it's not made by Russians. Because the Russians, because of that point of them having this pride, they would never make a show that shows how badly they fucked up. Because that would make not them look bad. Not in an honest bad. way. Exactly. Yeah. That would make them look bad. So this is a story that needs to be told, but would never be told by the people that should tell it. It has to be told by a third party, by this, uh, it, it's an English production, um, which, by the way, the choice to okay. not do that's what I was going to say. Accents. One of my favorite aspects about the show is that it is a British production and everybody is just British. All yeah. the actors are British. They're not fine. doing bad it's Russian fine. accents. Yeah. I've heard so many bad accents in my life. I don't need to hear 
a bunch of great British actors dumbed down their acting ability by trying to do an authentic Russian accent, yeah. which still isn't going to sound very good. And which still and not would not believable. be accurate because they're not, they don't have Russian accents in Russia. They speak Russian. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, they wouldn't even be speaking speak English. Broken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've talked about that before with, with things like The Favorite, where it's like, you know, sometimes you just don't need to bother. It's like, like uh, nobody really cares. Yeah. I can tell by your regalia that you are British yeah. or you are Russian. But this, that's fine. this show so it it is unapologetically Russian and and just so detailed oriented with showing what the Soviet Union life was like like how these people conducted themselves like it, it, just little little details in how this world is portrayed it's very very authentic yeah I wanted to say um but to your point about how this felt like it had to be made by a third party that almost leads into the problem the problem in the plot itself here of like not being able to get the truth from the source itself from the people who were right there when this whole disaster happened that's this whole thing of like trying to figure out there are these uh two main scientists that are in here um who by the way give incredible performances um emily watson and jared harris who are both like so awesome and believable as just they're they don't care about the communist party they're just they're scientists that are trying to make sure that a tragedy like this never happens again yeah um and there's a moment and, there's a scene where jared harris's character explains how apocalyptic this fucking thing is yeah. like just to try to conceptualize like exactly how much radiation was people being... are like oh okay yeah no well, it's fine we can just leave it here and they're like do you know what the half-life of this uh plutonium is it's 2700 years it's so. it's the equivalent of like what 40 uh hiroshima nuclear bombs yeah. or something like that that's wild yeah it, it's insane it's it's unbelievable and i mean i just have to we have to talk about the direction all the episodes are directed by uh johan rink I believe is his name. Um, and they're written by. We got to talk about the the writer of all of all. The, oh yeah, uh, that too. Um, one writer. Uh, yes. Cool. I shit. I just had it pulled up. Um, but uh, Johan Rank, the way that this show is shot is a uh, shot is so dour it's like really leads right into the tone that this show is trying to give everything has this like pale green tint to it it's just filled with smog everybody's suits that they're wearing are just this like very bland like meh thing the color palette like it's while being so bland it's captivating for it really gives you a sense of the entire show just from a visual perspective yeah um so this is fascinating this, yeah. the writer of this show's filmography is the funniest shit i've his ever his name is craig mazin so i'll just go through it starting at the very bottom uh rocket man 1997 1997 <laughs> don't know what that is not not 2019 he wrote that skipping one he wrote scary movie three the the charlie sheen the ring parody oh. one uh scary movie four uh, that was when they started getting truly, really bad. Uh, superhero movie, which is when <laughs> movies in general started getting really bad. Um, the Hangover Part 2. So everyone's the worst? everyone's yeah. favorite Hangover. Yeah. Uh, Identity Thief. Uh, really mid-tier Jason Bateman, Melissa McCarthy uh, road trip comedy. Have seen it. Don't recommend it. Uh, the Hangover Part 3. <laughs> everyone's second favorite Hangover movie. <laughs> Uh, the Huntsman Winter's War. Yes. So his the own spinoff we all wanted. His only then, dramatic credit is the Huntsman Winter's War. And then he's making, he's writing 2019's Charlie's Angels. Yeah. So like, what? 
I guess this, what is this? I guy? guess this it really speaks to. I've talked about before how like the writers for like bad Chuck Lorre sitcoms are very funny people who are being asked to write something that's bad. I guess that's his deal. Like he got these jobs to write these. Like he didn't write Scary Movie three on spec. Mm-hmm. Like he got paid to write Scary Movie three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so hey, good on him. I mean the, like I said, the writing on on here is is so good. He, him writing every episode, he like does this really great job at selling the horror of this thing. Like just the the fact that we're seeing a, a true event play out makes it absolutely terrifying to me. There there are moments in the second episode. Uh, and I think maybe third episode where we see the effects of the first responders that were there on site of the explosion trying mm. to contain the fire. And we see what these men look like after just a couple of days so, of, of, of being exposed to radiation. It is some of the most – and I mean this ties to the direction too, mm. to the look that, that – the, the makeup – of these oh my guys. god! Some of the best makeup I've ever seen it's in television. Show. Like it's insane. Well, because if you go from how they look the first episode, it's you know they're 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 covered in soot, trying to put out this fire that's happening here. Um, then they go to a hospital because they're starting to have horrible burns and side effects. And it's exactly how um, the scientist character, how he paints out, he's just like, you know, you have these horrible effects and there's a latency period. People even think that you're starting to get better. We see that side of them. They're sitting there playing cards. They're bandaged up. It's all good. And then the next episode, they look like ghouls from the Fallout games. Like, they <laughs> do, like honestly, like their skin is so pale and looks like slimy. Like it, they look like salamander skin, and they yep. just have these welts all wow. over their body. It doesn't look like the same actors. Like you're like, that's not a real person. Just to there. think that this is something that this happened. happened. Like this yeah. is a real it's thing. So and guess what? Nuclear reactors are still a thing that are on this planet right now, and that's still like something that and just could the, possibly the, happen. The people, uh, the 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 Stellan Skarsgård character and the the Jared Harris character, like these people that are like on the peripheries of the area that are trying to deal with it. They're just like, yeah, we're we're gonna get cancer. Yeah, they just know like, that that's a fact. Yeah, but, our lives are just cut in half. Well, that is one thing that kind of shows the beauty of uh, the Russian mindset is that people are so willing to sacrifice their own lives for the good of the good of the country. Dude, it's all the about miners. for the good of. The, yeah, exactly. If you just look at these miners themselves, oh. the miners know that they're going to die. They're inhaling the all of the soot and dirt just trying to dig underneath the reactor itself. Like, they know that they're going to die, but they're like, if we do this, yeah, the, all 100 of us, 400 of us might die, but we'll save 50,000. The the determination of doing it for their country, is, for their nation. It's beautiful. It's poetic yeah. in, like, mm. the most twisted, sad But then the people kind of that don't want to open up about the truth and reveal how bad this is, they're also doing it. It's there's this like brainwash quality of like the the communism socialism yeah. of, of Soviets. Yeah, you we do actually get an actor playing Gorbachev himself, and he is a pretty despicable. He plays it pretty despicably. Yeah. Uh, all right, we could we could sort of stop there because we are gonna talk a little bit more about. We had to talk more specifics about yeah. some. Once it wraps up, there's only things. one episode left. Uh, I'm very excited for it. We're going yeah. back to the beginning to see what actually went down on the night of the explosion and and it's going to be a whole litigation uh, uh trial episode so i'm, I'm really um, excited so speaking of mans that Uh-oh. uh happen to work on nuclear reactors you know a lot of like nuclear reaction Aww. stuff they're used for space rockets <laughs> is that true? these mans <laughs> is that true at all 
I'm a scientist. Just Speaking don't worry about of it. true in any way. <laughs> Speaking of, of thinking it's going to be a long, long time. Speaking yeah. of rocket spaceman. No, wait. Scratch the space. We're just no, going to make yeah. it one word. I, I was going to say, speaking of uh, horrific body transformations. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Taryn Edgerton. Yeah, by Brits. Um, so we originally were talking about uh, making this our featured review for this week, but... We were burned I, by Bohemian Rhapsody. But I did say we were back whenever, <laughs> back whenever this movie, the trailers for this movie, first time I saw it was before Bo Rap, and they showed it at Bohemian Rhapsody. They showed it at during Bohemian Rhapsody. It's directed by Dexter Fletcher, who is the guy who did the cleanup job after Brian Singer just went AWOL in the middle of yeah. production. Um, and I had my optimism about this movie because I thought this doesn't just look like a biopic. We aren't getting another Walk the Line. We aren't getting another Bohemian Rhapsody. They are leaning into the fantastical element, and I think that that's interesting. So now we see Rocket Man, uh, 2019, and this is a good movie, guys. I wouldn't say it's amazing. Um, I'm really surprised about the positive buzz. There's. Some, expect that. There are some truly amazing moments, like some moments that just put a fucking grin on my face. Like, uh, so this movie starts in um, the way that this all begins is it starts with um, Elton John walking in with full regalia into an AA meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he Elton, basically, Elton, John's, Elton John's got to think about his whole life before he walks into this AA meeting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I will say there's plenty of. Classic musical biopic tropes that are in here. Specifically, the whole time while this was happening, I was thinking of Walk the Line, the Folsom County uh, concert. <laughs> and then right before he looks at himself in the mirror and then recounts his entire life. Yeah. That was exactly where we went with this. Um, <laughs> it So we see little baby boy Elton as this little pudgy kid um, yeah. and kind of goes on from there. It's from the get go, it's very over the top. It's almost has this like La La Land feel to it, Ooh, where it's very. We it like felt it. like, dun, dun, but dun, more than dun, anything, in something that I love about La La Land is that it doesn't feel like a movie musical. It feels like a theatrical, like a real musical. Like the way that the set pieces and uh, the uh, choreography, it feels like something that you would see a play of. Um, this absolutely has that feel. Um, there is the whole transition. I will say, him as a kid, not the best or most interesting stuff because you have this eight-year-old singing Elton John songs and um, just not the gr- greatest. Like, just give me Taron Edgerton. Taron Edgerton, as soon as he comes in, the transition from little baby boy into grown-up Taron Edgerton happens during this rendition of uh, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. Um, one of my favorite Elton John songs classic banger um and the way that it transitions straight into him in the middle of this whole dance sequence is amazing taron edgerton gives a hell of a performance like knocked it out of the park his singing is great we love him i didn't realize um because i guess i thought that this was the first thing that he'd ever sang in but he was actually in the movie sing a couple years ago in which he performed an elton john song a lot of um, a, like most actors love to sing. <laughs> like if you, if it's you, just about whether or not they're good at it. Yeah, yeah, but if you write a role that involves singing, actors get on it like catnip. Like they're all theater kids, you know. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that uh, I did really love about this movie is that the main love interest that happens in this movie is between Elton John and his longtime uh, lyricist uh, Bernie Taupin. Who, for those of you who don't know, um, 
Elton John is like a musical genius. Like he can just hear somebody playing a riff and then he can just go off on it right away. But he can't write lyrics. Like, he's never been able to do lyricism at all. That's really So funny. he has Bernie Toppin, who writes these, like, very poetic, um, like, very, like, classically poetic lines, which, I mean, some of them are amazing and timeless. Like, think about yeah. something like... Some of the best lines in history. Yeah. Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. Yeah, like, think about something in like fact, Rockman, your it's song... Cold as hell. Daniel, like amazing lines. He also can write a song like Crocodile Rock where you're like, what is that? What are you even saying? But mm -hmm. it's still got this like very uh, unique sound to it. And Elton was the person who took these lyricisms or this lyrics that he created and really put music to it and put the soul behind it all. And I thought that, that was really powerful. Um, the whole middle act of this movie, I was all in on. Um, I really that's usually a part where these movies where they just drag but we have some like really awesome set pieces there in here that even musical set pieces. even whenever it starts to drag and you reach these like like so Richard Madden um, who you guys might know as Rob Stark from Game of Thrones in this movie and he just from the get go you can just tell he's evil he's just an evil producer who's trying to take Elton and manipulate him and use him for himself and he's hamming it up in this role but all that stuff is like ah, i i know that you're evil let's just hurry up past this stuff <laughs> but what keeps you invested is the cool set pieces that you keep coming back to it's very very fantastical um this movie is worth the price of admission alone because you get to see taron edgerton and rich and madden fuck uh like softcore porn nice they go all in i was i was yeah two thumbs up for that yeah, p and p yeah <laughs> PNP. <laughs> butt, um, butt on butt. Penis and penis. Yeah, they just rubbing butts together. Um, of course, this really, I mean, so one of the other big differences between this and Bo Rap is that Elton John is an executive producer on this movie. He pretty much had say on what was going to happen. I think that's both good and bad. Um, the exact amount of cocaine. On well, set. it's good because, I mean, Elton, he doesn't necessarily put himself in a glamorous light he shows how bad his addiction got and how much he like put his uh like new addictions that he's found over what his life should have been mm. um and it really led him down this horribly dark path but he's pretty honest about which i thought that was cool that you are seeing a true version of the story versus something like bohemian rhapsody however it almost felt like Maybe it could have gone a little bit farther. Like maybe if we would have gotten just some other side character to come in here and um, or not side character, but some other third party to actually shoot this from a more mm. neutral perspective, would have been an interesting different type of movie. Uh, I don't want to get into too many specifics because there's a couple really heartbreaking scenes. Do they that... touch on him writing the Lion King soundtrack? No, they don't. Um, this movie pretty much because at that point, um he had been sober this movie pretty much ends with him uh beginning a life of sobriety okay. so really touches on like 1970 through early 80s okay early mid 80s that's or good. so that's good because you know a lot of times with these biopics they try to do like an entire lifetime or yeah and it was like nice that. that they just picked this segment of his life um if you're like a diehard elton john fan then you're gonna love it but uh i don't think it's not this isn't like told in proper fashion it's not like bohemian rhapsody where you're like oh this is the club phase where they write another one bites the dust their song catalog is kind of just all over the place yeah like he writes your song when he's like 19 and you're like i don't know if that's true but okay we'll just go with it 
Um, yeah, no, that was really good. There's, uh, it touches on his divorce that he or his uh, marriage and then immediate divorce uh, that happened because he married a woman and he's gay. So uh, that obviously did not work well. <laughs> um, but I overall, I do really like it. It handled being gay about a billion times better than Bohemian Rhapsody did. Where How it's just, could you? How could you do it any better? I know. Where what, I will say, Elton John doesn't just peer at a man as he walks into the men's bathroom, and that's how I know he's oh, gay. Oh, no. So, then how did you know that Elton's gay? I just had to assume by him and Rob Stark making out that he might have been a little bit Not clear enough. That's not clear enough, no? <laughs> was, was it like, did he hook up with a guy once, Elton John, and then at the end of the movie, he's like, you know that guy I fucked once? I want to end my life with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen you don't even uh. see Elton John's actual like current husband who he's been with with 20 years. He's not even in the movie, which was cool. Like I don't need the love story was really about Elton and Bernie, which is really awesome. Like they talk about in the movie. There's like, this is the one person like he is my brother that I never had. And like, we've only had one serious fight in our entire lives, which you do see a little bit of in the All movie. Right. But... All right. I want to, I want to check it yeah, out. Check it I out. What'd you give it? What's your, um, I give it like a strong seven. Good, good strong for it. seven, seven point five. Like right, it was enjoyable. It was it was enjoyable. Now movie. I see you uh, already have your paws on a piece of paper. So over there. Uh, I mean, uh, Blu-ray. It's, it's been long enough that I think it's time for a cracking crate. Wait, can you do that? Can you take that one more time? Yeah, one do more take. One, one more time. <laughs> and one and go. Cracking crate. That was better. That was, that was better. a lot better. Okay, we'll use that one. Yeah, we'll use both of them. Um, I'm <laughs> Ernie, sorry, could you edit I'm that? Sorry for tearing this piece of paper. I, just, <laughs> I had to ad lib. All right, so guys, we've touched on it before, but the Criterion Channel. Um, so for the last month or two, I've just been kind of paying for the subscription, but not actually using any of the services just because to support, just to show your support. Yeah, just because I just want to support That's what film, uh, film history. I, I can spend the money. It's just like, yeah, just throw <laughs> it on there. Um, film preservation. This week, I decided to actually take advantage of it. Uh, before I go on that, though, guys, a new Godzilla movie came out this week. Oh! Godzilla King of the Monsters, um, 2019. Yay! It's got Stranger Things Girl. Mm-hmm. It's got um, it's got uh, T- Tywin Lannister. Does it have the Cran Man, or is he out? Uh, Cran Man is gone. Oh, he um, died in the first one. So I we're going to talk put about in a wheelchair, and then Kevin Hart had to help him out. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the same universe. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about Godzilla. But not the 2019 version. No. Uh, we're going to talk about 1954's Godzilla. Mm. Um, the last good one. <laughs> yeah, the is first that, and the only. Is, is that fair to say? Like, Was it good? Uh, I love this movie. I think it's actually great. Because the one thing that's really genius about the first Godzilla movie is it's not really about Godzilla. Um, it's about the city of New York. The whole... It's almost like Tokyo is a character in the story. <laughs> um so the whole thing with this movie is that it's made uh, in a post-World War II world uh, where this there's this new nuclear arms race that's happening. And so real thing that was actually happening in the time, we were doing nuclear testing by basically just bombing the ocean. Yeah. Um, and so that's what sparks Godzilla to come out is that we're doing these nuclear tests out in the middle of the ocean. And Godzilla is this creature that lives like in the sub like bottom of the ocean where nothing has been explored in some cavern and all of his food has been eliminated by this nuclear activity that humans have been causing. That's what leads him on this terror because he's trying to find a new food source. 
Hmm. Um, really awesome that it, like uses this monster movie to make this whole statement on like environmental effects and humans, uh, how we are very detrimental to the environment in many ways, specifically in this time period where we're doing these nuclear testings. Um, this I, I really enjoyed this movie. I would definitely recommend it uh, that you guys check it out just because it's not what you would expect it to be. Um, this they also, also they also have a bunch of other Godzilla movies on the Criterion channel. Do it they? looks like. Do they have some more uh, yeah. kaiju type yeah, movies? Yeah, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Uh, Godzilla oh, versus Megalon. There. So I'm pretty sure that after this one, it just becomes a monster movie yeah. franchise. And like that's fine. Um how they actually shoot this movie is really awesome. Like, the miniatures that they use look great for the most part. Godzilla himself, it's clearly just a man in a suit stomping on, like, train tracks. Yeah. But it still is so cool. Like, I would rather see this than, like, some uh, Treasure Planet gross 3D animation <laughs> that does not look... Like, this at least looks Don't talk shit timeless about Treasure Planet. Way. Yeah, sorry, Treasure Planet. Jeez. Try to bring you in this. Um, but overall, I thought this movie was really, really cool. Um, it also is co-starring my guy, Takashi Shimura, who, keep that name in your head, because we're going to be coming back to him. Whoa. Okay. Um, next movie I wanted to touch on was Blood Simple. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, of course, like the first big Coen Brothers movie. Um, I would not say that this is a great movie, <laughs> um, but what's fascinating about this movie and why it's the perfect addition for something to be on Criterion is because it's important for film history in that there are seeds of perfect Coen Brothers movies there in this movie. Like, in this movie, we get hints of Fargo. We get hints of No Country for Old Men. That kind of, uh, not narcissistic isn't the right word, but this very uh, dour view on humanity that Mm. the Coen Brothers have been known for, that is all really set up in this first film. Um, Of course, this movie is starring Frances McDormand. It's very obvious, based on her performance here, why they went back to her for Fargo. Because she's playing a very similar role. Uh, She's a little bit... I mean, because she isn't like a cop or anything in this movie. But she is uh, this distressed woman who is having an affair with this new love interest. And the husband basically goes crazy. Hires this hitman um, played by M. Emmett... M. Emmett Walsh? M. Emmett Walsh. M. Emmett Walsh. Uh, if you see his face, you'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Like, yeah, because he's in he's in Blade Runner. Um, he's in... He's in Christmas, Christmas with, with the Cranks. Yeah, come on. Wild, wild, wild west. Way to bury the lead. Um, he's in Christmas with the Cranks. Yeah, that's all you need to know. He's the grouchy neighbor. He's, uh, he's really awesome. Very, like, evil in this dark way. That, like, he's not, like, truly evil. He's more of, like, a... He feels like a Coen Brothers villain in that he, like, is nonchalant about killing people. It's almost Tarantino-esque mm-hmm. about it. It's just like, yeah, you know, I just, I kill people. It's, it is what it is. Um, the plot itself is kind of confusing. Character motivations don't really make any sense in this movie. But like I said, um, it's still, it's an interesting watch for your Coen Brothers fan. I would dec- definitely recommend you check this out, at least to have a little bit of a background on uh, what exactly they got going on. Unfortunately, it's no longer on the Criterion channel. Yeah, it did leave they cycle on out their content. May 31st. Um, I'm sure it'll be back. It'll be back. I mean, you could just buy the Criterion of it if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd recommend yeah, right. it. Uh, next, I want to talk about a couple uh, Kira Kurosawa films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Criterion is, they have, I think it's, currently they have four uh 
uh, Kurosawa movies that are just on the Criterion channel alone. They're going to be adding a couple more this coming month. I know they're going to add Dreams and believe there's another one. But Dreams is on there right now. Oh, Dreams just came on there. Okay. Yeah. So right now they have Rashomon, Dreams, Akiru, Seven Samurai, and Yojimbo. Um, so I started. There's a lot with, more. I think they just added a lot. more. I think that they did. I remember seeing that they were adding some he more stuff in June. So, I mean, it's kind of Akira Kurosawa is one of those people who, like, you know his name, and there's a reason for it. Yeah, he changed film he's out yeah he's probably i'd say one of the five most well-regarded directors ever and one of the most influential directors like you know you see so many movies from like old times and you just kind of have to roll your eyes at some of the (laughs) directing choices that are made like even a movie like godzilla it's a fun movie but there's just so many shots that are like it's a still right on a person and then a cut and then like a, the camera's just slightly off to the left and then it redoes the same thing. And you're like, it's very jarring yeah. watching it, but people just didn't have a sense of how to shoot transitions. That's or anything a good like point. Editing, editing did take a, a good minute. <laughs> well, especially back in the day with film, because this was such a yeah, laborious yeah. process that it's not like you can just put it all on your mac and just yeah yeah chop but like together but right around the same era you hear about hitchcock revolutionizing editing and you hear about uh kurosawa a lot yeah kurosawa it's it's very hitchcockian now you brought that up that uh it's you can tell why these are kind of the two of them are basically the godfathers for modern cinema as we know it and i would even say kurosawa actually does stuff a little bit I wouldn't say better, um, but he does stuff in a different way where uh, a lot of Hitchcock stuff really leans on thriller aspects, thriller, even horror with some of his editing choices because he figured out the best way to create a visceral reaction with a crowd. Mm. Kurosawa like made the modern drama and he really kind of revolutionized this whole story. I mean, we'll talk about just this leads right into my thoughts on Rashomon. Rashomon has its own sensation that people now refer to the Rashomon effect. That's actually a thing in returning film, to an event through different perspectives. Through different perspectives. It's a thing that's now in uh, film and TV all the time that we see this kind of thing. It's even a thing in psychology classes that they teach a Rashomon effect where uh, two truths don't have to be mutually exclusive and one of them doesn't have to necessarily be wrong and the other right. Yeah. Uh, there can be pieces of truth in each story because we each account it. I mean, our our senses are fallible in every way, and so we and each kind of and yeah. memory itself is very easily manipulated. Um, Rashomon's a really fascinating story. It takes place uh, involving this thief who uh, encounters a man and a woman that are traveling through, and he's basically he tries to kill the man so he can steal his woman away from her, and it shows from the perspective of um, the thief then from the woman, then from the man who actually gets killed, who they bring in like a a medium pretty much to tell the dead man's version of the story. That's cool as fuck. That's and awesome. <laughs> then we also have uh, my guy again, Takashi Shimura, who is this woodcutter. Um, the whole movie starts with him, of him just like, I just don't understand how this is happening. Like all these things, these storylines aren't adding up together. And then he's the one who recounts all these stories. Uh, he's the one who found the body in the woods and told the town about this whole thing. And he has his own account of everything that happened with this story. Um, it's really fascinating. Yeah. And well, and speaking and, to him, 
like really influencing this entire genre and filmmaking in general. He wrote these fucking movies too. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that's why it's so fascinating. And okay, so I've mentioned the name Takashi Shimura a lot now at this point. I, I think you might be the first person to ever call him your guy. Okay, um, <laughs> so here's to my point about that. Um, I think that he is the best actor of the 50s. Mm. I now have that take after seeing him in three different movies of this time period that like he is, and he's in almost every Kurosawa movie. He's in nine of his 20 movies. Like You can tell that this is a guy who Kurosawa really loved. His Leo. His full-on display performance that should have been Oscar-worthy if the Oscars gave a shit about foreign movies back in the 50s, specifically Japanese movies yeah, back things in the were, 50s. Yeah, things were still a little raw with Japan <laughs> um, at that point. So he made this movie uh, called Akiru, which translates to To Live. Um, it all takes place in the story of uh, Takashi Shimura, who plays uh, Kanji Watanabe, who is diagnosed with stomach cancer. Stomach cancer back in the 50s is a death sentence. It means you have six months to live. And it basically is about this guy who just works in a town hall his entire life for the last 30 years. He's never missed a day of work. And he has this son who he has no relationship with and pretty much has just let his entire life go by without ever really living. Um, So this kind of – this movie is pretty much the first time that this whole – kind of a story has been made and think about how many movies that we have now they're all about just like you have one day left even just like the common like movie like book smart that's just about this you have one last night of partying this movie kind of started that whole thing where it's like what would you do if you know that you have this much time left on earth and and what does he do it's well so I don't want to spoil too much about this movie because I think that everybody should see this movie. I think this movie is absolutely perfect. Um, pretty much it starts off with him. He uh, He's so disconnected from his son. He can't even tell his own son that he has this cancer. So it's told through a series of flashbacks and also of his present day where you see him kind of thinking back on his life and how he's filled with all these regrets. After his wife died, he kind of just became a mummy. Like, he just became somebody who just wandered through his life without ever even doing anything. So he confesses his story to a random uh, a poet in the club. Who uh, This guy is played by Ito... I, I'm a blank. I'm a butcher, this guy's name. I'm even gonna, not even going to bother with it. Um, Eat. Nope, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> um, encounters this guy... They go on this uh, one night expedition where they go out to the they go out to a club. They go see a geisha who's like dances for them and does strip teases, and he gets super drunk. But as he learns throughout the stories, to live doesn't just mean to go out and party and avoid all responsibilities. To live also means to suffer. To live means to go through your life and just try and make a difference doing something. It doesn't mean you have to go out there and be crazy. Like, we're all living as long as we're actually doing something that either makes us happy or that can help make somebody else happy through our work. Um, Extremely powerful. I was completely moved by this movie and where this actually goes with this story. Um, This movie is a 10 out of 10. Like, it is... While Rashomon, I would... I love the movie... I would almost give it a 10 out of 10 out of obligation. Cause it's because it's so influential. It's so influential. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, like, I, I mean, it's an hour and a half long, Rashomon is. Like, it's, it's a breeze to go through. Um, but I wouldn't say it's, like, the best thing. This movie is, 
like might just be, uh, become one of my favorite movies of all time. Right, right here in the Criterion Channel, uh, uh, the first thing you read when you click Akira, it says considered by some to be Akira Kurosawa's greatest achievement. Mm. I mean, it makes he had sense. a few like, to choose from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, because <laughs> it really is between most people argue between this or Seven Samurais. I haven't seen Seven Samurais yet because that movie is like four hours long. Um, it's a part one and a part two to Seven Samurai, um, but. I'll have to come back to you guys after I watch that. Damn, but now you're making is, me want to do a Kurosawa watch. Through. Just start with Akiru. You will be on my side about Takeshi Shimura. Like, the way that he he plays emotion off of his face is, like, it's because, I mean, think about it. Back in the day, great actors were, like, if you were just, like, badass. If you had a <laughs> swagger to you or if you were slightly charismatic, if you were John Ford, then you were a great actor. Sorry, John Ford, but you're not actually, by normal standards, you're not a great actor. That's fucked. Enemy of the pod. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fuck you, dead man. What are you going to do about it? Takashi Shimura also is unfortunately dead. Um, just oh, like Akira, not a shock. Kurosawa. It, I mean, it is it is a huge testament that it holds up because yeah. uh, even though it is from the fifties, I recently had to watch a few like D.W. Griffith movies, which are from before the fifties. Yeah, forties, and era. they do not 40s. like at the time they were absolutely revolutionary in so many different ways. But they play like shit now. They are laughable. Um, I, I mean, I will say Akira, like it's it's slow, but I didn't mind. I mean, I like watching dramas. Anyway, so like if you're a person who you only like the new Godzilla movie, then you're probably not going to be as into this. But like if you're a person who just like is captivated, captivated by a good story and there's stretches of this movie where there is just no dialogue and you're just watching this Japanese culture happening around it. And the world is insane. Like it's such a cool world. Mm. This has it also touches on government in a really interesting way especially in modern american times because uh it really early on the movie we see it's a group of um concerned moms that are talking about there's this culvert that's building in this like sketchy part of town and so town hall just like won't really do it they send them on this runaround to 25 different agencies where they're like oh that's a public works thing and they're like oh it's a culvert you gotta take that to sewage oh well if you want to build a park there then you have to go to parks and rec to do that mm. and it's literally going through the red tape that yeah. is in our society to this day bureaucracy yeah bureaucracy is still a thing that happens and is that they, why you love this movie so much because you're just about to start i'm about a to start job. In there. yeah maybe that's why is that this speaks to me is that I have to be my own part of the system. I have to Akiru whenever you, I get in there. Did you find with that point you just made? Did you find any uh, links to like what Alfonso Cuarón does with his link uh, wandering camera that just like shows Absolutely. you what the the just the world is like, and it doesn't like actually follow a plot, but just. You just see life play out. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... Yeah, I was actually going to make a kind of a Quaron uh, or Inuritu comparison to them about how they really do... You have this grand sense of the world, specifically with Quaron, but even Inuritu and something like Birdman, how we just kind of... This world feels otherworldly, but still feels grounded. Um, that's the way, especially uh, more so something like Rashomon than this. This feels very much in our world that we live in, but... It just, these long, like, there's this whole thing where they go and see a geisha, and it's just, like, three minutes of this woman, like, slowly, like, sauntering around, and then she, like, lifts up her dress, and you see her ankle. And it's, like, <laughs> there's some amazing moments with Takashi Shimura whenever he's acting drunk, and he sees this woman, he's like, oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> he just yells, and then it just lingers on his face. 
and it's it's funny, but it's Great played acting. for there laughs. Was, like, there was one Japanese movie I saw uh, in one of my film classes in college, and I think it was Tokyo Story. Oh, okay. Ma- I've, ma- I really want to see Tokyo Story. Maybe we just saw clips from it. I'm, I don't remember too well, but what I do remember is a lot of sequences of just like mundane life playing yeah. out. And like this is a, a 1950s uh, Japanese cinema is like what kind of introduced that whole idea of just focusing the camera on just like the monotony of just what everything in between the action. Yeah, well, it's something that didn't really happen in America until the late 60s, early 70s with something like Midnight Cowboy. Like that was revolutionary because it shows the underbelly of society and then less so underbelly uh but more so just the monotony of just everyday life i mean the set design in here is incredible like whenever you see uh watanabe's office he literally is just sitting there because he's the chief executive chief officer of this thing and so he just has to just sit there and just stamp papers and there's just a wall of papers and (laughs) folders behind them like you can't even see anything it's just all files they're just taking up everything filmmaking it's film yeah, um, so go check this movie out. Criterion it, Channel. Just go get the Criterion Channel. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably care about movies in some kind of a How much is amazing it again? Way. Per it's month? 10 bucks a month. That's not a bad deal. 10 bucks a month, and you're getting so much. Uh, you touched on it, but how they're doing it, because it's not like they're going to make Criterion original content, that they're kind of shuffling through their catalog. So Blood Symbols got taken off. Some more Kurosawa got put on there. They're, uh, they're releasing they, a Kurosawa uh, documentary as yeah, well. which I'm really fascinated by that. It's they're going to do, I think next month they're going to put on, um, uh, they're going to put on a few other things in July. I know they still haven't put any of the Wes Anderson movies there on there, which there is like seven different Wes Anderson movies that are on Criterion right now. Like there's a lot of bonus content too. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's uh, like right here, if I just if I click to Kiru, I, I scroll down, I can watch the movie. I can watch Bill um, Hader introduce Akiru. Exactly. Yeah. That was yeah. really interesting. This is There's like the commentary. longest ad read a podcast has ever had. <laughs> I'm just saying. This is like a 20-minute ad. We, I'm not even getting paid for this. I just am really passionate <laughs> about this service, and go check this out. Yeah, I'm sure that's what Bill Simmons feels about DAZN. I'm sure he's just really <laughs> passionate about it. Um, All right, Drew. Can we add a presented by the Criterion channel on our podcast sure. feed? And then sure, yeah. Criterion Channel find out and be like, hey, take that shit off. Hey, okay? you, guys... you do not you do not get the Criterion yeah. seal. So speaking of you ready for my transition. Speaking of pop culture, I've been wa- <laughs> oh, I've been watching uh Hulu's Rami. That's R A M Y. Not Malik. No. Okay. Definitely I would not watch that. I um, am a notable non fan of Rami Malik. I'm a fan of Rami. Oh God. I'm a fan I of I am a bad robot. <laughs> That's that video is the most compelling thing he's ever done. And he did not for the reason he wanted it to be. Anyway, I've been watching Hulu's Rami. It is what it's billed as is a ten episode uh comedy series in the vein of all these other like millennial comedies that we've been getting. Uh this is a very different from a lot of those shows. It has plenty in common, but uh Rami Youssef is the guy who created and wrote most of the episodes of this show. Uh, he's a comedian in his 20s uh, in real life. He stars in the show. First great move on Rami's part. He does not play a comedian in the show. Thank, oh, thank God. It's thank, not another one of oh, those. We yes. didn't get another crashing. Yeah, maybe God. maybe he'll end up being one because right now he's unemployed. Uh, but 
I that was very refreshing, <laughs> needless to say. But here's here's the the main pitch of the show. Rami is it's basically it's <laughs> basically loosed. It's loosely based on the life of Rami Youssef, who is a twenty something struggling with being a genuine Muslim in the modern world. Uh so obviously we're dealing with the type of story that we almost never ever ever see yeah, i mean big sick is like the exactly thing and this does have a lot in common with big sick with how it depicts uh islam and the struggle with being muslim in america um so right off the bat yeah we have this great story uh rami is a really uh likable main character uh this this show is produced by a24 and it it looks like what? it 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 looks great um that's crazy i know i know that's dope yeah, it, it has a really good show. Uh, so, yeah, I have a whole list of things I really like about this show. Overall, I'm I'm a huge fan. It grew on me because I will say the first few episodes are what you would call overwritten, probably. Uh, a lot of the time, characters are kind of blatantly saying the struggle or maybe the central theme of the scene. They're just saying it out loud, which is not what you want out of your, yeah. <laughs> out of your art to just tell you what it is. Uh, but... By episode four, the show absolutely finds its footing, and it episode four is a childhood flashback episode to, to Rami's childhood, a la Atlanta, heavy Atlanta vibes, because uh, the show already has some similarities. But this is when it gets real. Like this is an unbelievably good episode of television. Master of None had one of those. Yeah, and Ooh, then that was a great episode. Well, too. and then beyond that, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything that happens in that episode. But there are some big turns that are absolute killers. That's a ten out of ten episode of TV. And past that, point, dramatic stuff or comedic? Uh, both. And past Whoa. that point, the show uh, feels a lot more comfortable with itself in terms of its writing. Like it trusts because uh, I almost forgave it for being a little overwritten because. A mainstream audience might need to have a lot of this stuff spoon-fed to them because we've not seen this before. He is actually a Muslim. We don't really get any shows where uh, the main character is religious at all. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, any television TV show stays the fuck away from so religion. So it focuses on that aspect of his life heavily. Yeah, because he's he's not, like, performatively Muslim. Like, in, in Big Sick, Kumail is not... Uh, trying to sell himself as like a genuine like pray five times a day style muslim he's trying to be you know his his family is muslim so he is performatively one rami youssef in real life is an actual muslim and to exist in a, the comedy world being devoutly religious must be an insane life yeah <laughs> to live um well it's great material for comedy I yeah mean, i'm sure and some other great material comes from uh his best friend in the show is his actual best friend in real life named steve way who is a stand-up comedian who has muscular dystrophy um and it's like severely impacting his life like it's really really bad muscular dystrophy he's in a wheelchair Jeez. uh he, yeah he cannot move he's a quadriplegic um and vulture did a great article that interviewed steve way about how uh disability representation in tv and movies is almost worse than any other type of representation because when you when you deal with hiring disabled people they don't want to deal with it because it's like they have, you know, they may have limited hours. They might not be able to access the location that you're shooting in because of wheelchairs or things like that. That's um, insane. I never, I never even thought about that before. This show, so it has a Muslim Egyptian man and fucking a guy who's disabled. That's, yeah, that's like, amazing. That's like next level. Yeah, that's woke. that's so dope. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's treated very like it's. There's plenty of comedic effect with Steve Way's character. Um. 
but it's also tre- like there will be a scene where like you know it's a group of friends eating at a diner or something and rami is just feeding steve way just because that's what he does when he hangs out with steve he has to like uh care for him and it's that's a good friend right there it's yeah and now he put him up in this show it's it's really really awesome uh and like I said, the show itself finds itself later on. It can be a bit on the nose with all this stuff early, but give it t- give it some time. Hey, he uh, directed the uh, flashback episode. Yeah, that's the only one that's he directed, awesome. and it might be the best one out of any of them. Rami is a really interesting guy. I listened to a podcast uh, that he was on, and he seems he's very funny, first of all, but he's very he's a thoughtful guy because like as a devout muslim he does not drink or do any drugs ever like he doesn't do any of that that's such a wild thing in the comedy scene having that kind of a a view on everything and so either you're pete holmes or you're a muslim so that is (laughs) actually (laughs) an interesting comparison to draw because they're relatively very similar shows in the grand scheme of things uh but this show does something i wish that pete holmes had done with crashing which is one of probably the most interesting storyline of crashing is that pete was very religious uh, and then he eventually lost that. But Pete loses his religion really early on in Crashing. It would have been way more interesting to see him be like a real Christian for multiple seasons and then lose his way. Um, the new season uh, sort of returns to that in an interesting way where he okay. tries to be like a Christian comic mm-hmm. and like appeal to that audience. Oh, boy. Without actually like being, you know, part of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> in, like without actually becoming Um, a christian again but so there are a lot of scenes that in the show that drive the point home like it does fall into the crashing trap of there are a lot of scenes that involve like oh this this really hot girl wants to fuck me but i'm muslim so i feel bad about it (laughs) like kind of like crashing where it's like that is a struggle that he deals with in real life but you got to think about who's writing the show and you're (laughs) you're like all right let's let's do another storyline but when the show shines when it becomes an amazing show are the episodes that focus on other characters i love rami and i love his character but this whole cast is fucking unbelievably good and it's people that you haven't heard of because how often are there casting calls for Muslim characters, Egyptian characters, whatever you want to say, Middle Eastern man number three. You know, these these are people who have spent sometimes decades playing like bodega owner. Uh, yeah, bodega like, 7-Eleven exact, clerk, and, stuff like that. And they are just as good as any other actor. And so when he gives a full episode to these other like genuine actors and lets them shine, it is some of the best TV of the year, hands down. It's oh, unbe- that sounds awesome. Yeah, because I gotta watch it. And uh, another another great thing about the show is it it tackles intersectionality in that way. Because Rami, you know, he can talk about his struggles all day, but he has a sister in the show, and her struggles are almost worse. And it it's not trying to paint Islam in any sort of biased light. Like it's it's a lot like Big Sick, where it just it it tells it how his life is. So it'll deal with how negatively uh, people in the outside world treat Muslims, but then it'll also deal with how Muslims treat Muslims really horribly, particularly with the sister character. Uh, she has to deal with a whole lot of like really bad sexism and double standards within her community and outside of it. Uh, and so for her to get her own episode is amazing. That's one of my favorite things about uh, kind of prestige TV and just this new generation we have is like, we're not too worried about like who the star of the show is anymore. When that used to be the most important thing about any TV show is who's who are we mainly following. Yeah. We can just kind of drift more, around. More Atlanta vibes right there. Yeah. So mm. it, yeah. So we get an episode yeah. with her. Uh, for most of the show, we we see uh, their parents as sort of villain characters, or at least not likable. And then we get an episode that just entirely follows Rami's mother, who's played by uh, Hayam Abbas. This woman is 
it's one of the best episode performances I've seen in years. Like she absolutely nails this character. And I said that the show was billed as a comedy because in these episodes, there's just this immense loneliness to the show. Like it really, it really is not afraid to not have a laugh for 20 minutes. Like it's not trying to be goofy. Um, it is a funny show, but for me, the dramatic moments play better than the comedic moments, mm. actually. Um, it's got like almost that Barry sense to it where you care more about the dramatic sense after a while yeah, more than just laughs. Definitely. And it's not and it's not like, you know, any over the top violent drama. It's just what these characters genuinely have to deal with. And it's it's absolutely amazing. Like who did this, you who did you say is the friend with the uh, disability? Uh, Steve Way. Steve. Okay. Yeah, plays Steve. Okay, there's another there's another actor, uh Mohammed Amer yeah. plays Mo. Mm-hmm. Uh I've seen he has a, a special on Netflix. Have you seen it? Oh, he has really? a stand up special. It makes sense for he, him to be a stand up the way he acts in the show. Uh you should check out that stand up because yep. it it is it covers uh a lot of kind of the same sort of ground the his uh his comedy yeah it is I, I very mean, centered on like the muslim experience i'm i'm sure and it's i just i love the way the show handles all that because he could take it as an opportunity to take down or lift up his religion but really by episode by episode the way you feel about everything that's going on completely shifts like the way you feel about characters from one episode to the next is drastically different and that's another great thing the show does is there are no hollow like just good or just bad characters the character of rami is really a flawed guy uh you get really angry with him you get angry with every single person and also you like them in moments like even the most despicable character which is their uncle who is just a sexist racist like all he talks about is hating jews uh he's this kind yeah and rami said that it's based off of a relative he has he wouldn't say if like (laughs) what kind of you know which relative but he said he has you know you know yeah he said he has a relative that truly just is that way and he's not going to not show it just to try to you know depict things more positively so i just looked at the cast and i knew uh hayam abbas who plays the mother looked familiar she's marcia in succession Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I was like, yes. I know who that is. And she's awesome as Marsha, as yeah. this kind of like piercing stare woman who really even talks, but you know she has some shit going yeah. on. She is so good in this. Like, I would watch her do anything. We watch her in this episode become an Uber driver, and it's like the most compelling half hour of TV I've seen in so long. Like, it was <laughs> a beautiful episode of TV. So they, they dropped all the episodes at once, 10 episodes, all about a half hour yeah, so, on Hulu. Yeah, so it does, it takes a minute to find itself but like i said if you give it a chance if you let the show figure itself out it pays off so well i'm only actually i've seen eight of the ten episodes okay, you're not quite but done. episodes four through eight are markedly better than the first three like it's a big it, it took a leap okay i'll have to check the show i was interested whenever the show first came out on hulu because it was the top build thing on hulu for like a couple weeks there because it was the hulu yeah. original and, and it's, now it's kind of gotten its light taken away by catch 22 <laughs> And George so and... It, it got renewed almost immediately because nice. all of the critical reception is very positive for the show. Obviously, it's doing well enough with viewers. Uh, also, shout out to Pen15 got renewed at the same time, uh, which I I can't talk about Pen15 enough. I love that show. Damn, lots the, of good Hulu stuff. Hulu, Hulu is low key doing really well. Like their their standard is a little higher than Netflix for original programming. And guys, did you know that Hulu now is live TV with live sports? <laughs> oh. Dude, I you know that I'm I'm undisowned. watching the NBA finals right now as we're talking. <laughs> I I love Bill Simmons, but my favorite thing is when he tweets like crazy fight happening on dzone.com <laughs> right now. Is that's is that the main place that the fight's at? I think it's on like HBO or something. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, Rami himself has a, an hour-long HBO comedy special coming out later this year. I'm very excited for. Uh, like I said, when it, the show focuses on other people, maybe it's more interesting. He is not an actor by trade, uh, but he does a great job. Well, he writes, so yeah, he's still exactly. writing. This and he for he does characters. he does plenty good. A lot of the com the reason I said the drama works better is because a lot of the comedy does fall into like that kind of like mumblecore awkward conversation type mm-hmm. of deal. Not that that's a horrible thing, because that is what real life is like. <laughs> uh, but this this show uh only grew on me with time like if if you're not sold give it a few more episodes it's gonna get good dope rami uh on hulu yeah all right i think we can wrap it up there did you have anything else uh i guess not (laughs) if we're wrapping it up there what what is it i mean i could save it but just just throw it i'll go through really quick i watched little miss sunshine hadn't seen it before Uh, i haven't seen this movie in like since around the time that it came out so i don't even really remember anything about this movie the show hold or the movie fucking holds up like it holds up great and it makes sense because this style of movie this like indie dramedy Mm. uh it it spawned it's only gotten more popular yeah well this movie specifically spawned a million of those movies i'm sure there would be no juno without this movie like this movie was a big deal uh budget eight million made a hundred million at the box office (laughs) yeah it's crazy uh so yeah i mean plenty of people have seen this but i think that this might be one of the top five casts i've ever seen in terms of like how well cast they were for their roles uh it's unbelievable you know greg kinnear as like an over optimistic dad Carell playing a depressed guy when we only knew him as like this over the top like dumb guy uh tony collette who is so good at being put upon (laughs) like it sucks that that's the role that she always gets but she's really fucking good at it young abby breslin this blew her spot up young paul dano blew him up oh yeah yeah Paul Dano. Dano. and fucking alan arkin also alan arkin like this yeah. this cast is brian cranston <laughs> so yeah i uh since people have seen this movie really quick uh i did a lot of research on it because i i couldn't help but see like this movie must have influenced so many movies because of how well it did and how how much it holds up the the message the directing the style the inherent like depression of the movie mm. this is such a depressed movie but it's still funny that's like what everything is now <laughs> yeah. um but in my research, I found a lot of good, and I'm coining this term right now, half-assed internet research. Yeah, nobody this else is my, has ever. This is just said my that term before. that no other half-assed podcast has internet ever done. Research quarter. A lot of fun facts about this movie. Uh, the guy who wrote this movie, his name is Michael Arndt. Uh, he had to quit his job to write this movie. He was Matthew Broderick's personal assistant, and then, he, <laughs> and uh, Broderick never recovered from from this guy quitting his life. <laughs> Uh, but he quit to write it, and then he goes on after this. Whoa. He writes Toy Story 3, he writes Inside Out, and he writes The Force Awakens. Yeah, The Force Awakens. That's yeah. insane. I mean, you can see it in this movie because this movie has – He won an Oscar for this. Yeah, and it has all this indie credibility and this beautiful feel to it, but it also has these this amazing like movie movie, like all every loose end is tied up in such a perfect way. It's on this it's this balance that I thought was incredible for a movie of this scale. Uh, it's interesting. This is like uh, a pre-reunion for Brian Cranston and Dean Norris. A pre-Breaking Bad spot for those. So two I, that was on my bullet list. But oh. go off. Oh well, that was <laughs> I. I just I did I did quarter ass yeah. internet research, which was reunion. just looking at it's the cast. It's a union. It's just a, it's a pre-union. Break, pre-union. Breaking Bad is a reunion. <laughs> <laughs> this movie takes place in the Breaking Bad cinematic universe. Oh. As we all know. Or does Breaking Bad take place um, in the Little Miss Sunshine so cinematic? Here's universe. something that I thought was really, really cool is uh, Arndt, this writer, he was inspired by a speech he saw on the internet given by Schwarzenegger at like a high school graduation. 
And Schwarzenegger said something like, you know, the one people I hate in this world is losers. I despise losers. And Arndt was like, fuck that. Like, what a horrible message to send to, like, anyone in the world that you, if you're a loser, you're the worst. So he was like, I'm going to write a movie where everyone is a huge loser. And I'm going to make awesome. you love them anyway. And he fucking did it. Like, everyone in this movie sucks. Mm. <laughs> like, they're not, they're not good at anything. And you still love them. Um, so uh, some casting what ifs, another term that I'm just coming up with off the spot. No other, don't, don't need to listen to any other podcasts. Uh, the Greg Kinnear role over Optimistic Dad offered to Robin Williams would have been a bit older, Ooh. but still uh, Alec Baldwin, I think would have done good, but he's a little too smarmy. I feel like uh, I think and, he would fit into this. Uh, yeah. Cast. And speaking of smarmy, also David Duchovny. Us. Yeah, all be, said no to the better. role i think kinnear i love kinnear, kinnear. is great this is the best oh. kinnear that there ever was like he's such a killer in this hey bergsby bear um yeah <laughs> so the steve carell role bill murray offered first mm. said no yeah, bill, Man, bill, bill, Mur- does, bill murray and robin stuff. williams that would have just been a completely different yeah. movie Mur- murray would have done well with the depressed guy he's done it before he'll do it again mm. uh this movie was in production hell for like eight years or some shit. Like it was, it took so long for this movie to actually get made that all these names were like signed and then the movie got dropped or whatever. Uh, Carell himself, before the movie was dropped, he had no credits and no one knew who he was. Uh, so they were like iffy about even casting him because they were like, this whole cast is like stars. Are we really going to cast this fucker? And then by the time the movie comes out, it's 06 and he has The Office and Anchorman. And so they're like, hey, Steve, maybe uh, you do The Tonight Show instead of Greg Kinnear. To, to plug the show like he was already a bigger star than almost any of them uh so when the movie first aired at sundance which is where it first aired it sold for what at that point was an all-time record for a movie to be sold for to, to fox searchlight yeah all-time record ten and a half million dollars this movie sold for oh it, it already made its budget right there. yeah exactly that's wow. that never happens the budget was less than the fucking Holy what crap. it sold for uh that's I mean, this movie deserves all the praise it why, ever gets. Why was it such a hit? Why did it do so well? Like, just because it's a great movie? And just because it was ahead it? of its time for the style? Well, the, the cast was big for a, a smaller indie movie. Maybe some of that Corel clout in there. Yeah, and... I guess Fox Searchlight did a great job of plugging it, but I mean that's Fox Searchlight is always like that's one thing that I'm interested to see that what's going to happen with this Disney Fox merger because Fox Searchlight, I mean, think about it, they've had like Oscar contenders like the last yeah. five years. I mean, two years ago they owned uh, Shape of Water and Three Billboards, the two Oscar yeah. big Oscar winners. They, like they know how to find. They must talent. have advertised because so often smaller scale movies like this that really don't have a huge thing going on, like just fall away. Even if they have a good cast, no one sees them. You know, and this one just blew up. It you know it had a good uh, pitch. It had a good sell. You see this whole family in the van. You're yeah. like, all right, I get it. Like I, this is going to be like an uncomfortable comedy type deal. Uh, this is an amazing movie. Like there's really nothing wrong with the, it. Uh, the soundtrack is all this band called Devochka, uh, which they're a four-piece multi-instrumental vocal ensemble. Um, I think they're American. Yeah, they're from Denver. And there's a couple Sufjan Stevens songs mm-hmm. in there, too. But Some good I Sufjan? Just, there's one song on the soundtrack called How It Ends. It's the last song on it. And I just – I remember that song so well. It's like, you already know how this will 
Sufjan, that was good. That was a good job, Sufjan. Well, that's the vodka. That's the vodka. Um, But yeah, that's it. I mean, there's not, I I could, yeah, I don't want to dissect it too much because it's, you know, it's an older movie, but it's so well directed, so well written, so well edited, and the acting is, you know, these, all these actors are fucking top notch. It's nice. it's all around great. Where did you watch this? Uh, I bought it on DVD for two dollars. Thank you nice. for asking. Uh, yeah. Dude. How was that like layer of Vaseline that you just covered mm. your screen with in order to watch this? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like film where it would like fun <laughs> like fall off the yeah. screen yeah. somehow. It's called vintage. Yeah, it was Taj. <laughs> great movie. That's all. Cool. All right. Well, that about does it for this episode of We Bought a Mic. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we talked. Th- this was a very 2006 heavy episode between The Fall and uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. So that's a nice little bookend for you that was there. A good, good year of my life. Yeah. Good yeah. Time. Sixth grade, fifth grade. Um. So yeah, let us know what you thought of any of the things that we talked about, including Kurosawa and Chernobyl, um, Rocket Man. We might bring up again if I get a chance to see it. So send us all your thoughts. We bought a mic, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, gmail.com. So five-star reviews all around. Please and thank you. Uh, what about you guys? What do you want to plug? Uh, Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt Mobley. I've done reviews of, I think I did one for all of the Criterion movies I just watched. So if you Ooh. want a little bit more of a dive in on some of the other things, I'll also continue to be watching crates um and yeah yeah check me out on mm. there maybe i'll do a review of big little lies since that's on Lairbox and in preparation season two, is of coming. Season two. yeah we'll be talking about uh, that i'd like to plug the next episode if we bought a mic i heard it's gonna be really good and that's all Ooh. i heard that you shouldn't have even sat through this one like you should plug, plug rammy rami on hbo good show Ram- rammy that's just Ram- rammy malik ramen that's racist all right (laughs) bye (laughs) thanks for listening bye bye i saw a photo you look joyous my eyes are green i eat my veggies i need to get her out the picture she's really fucking up my friend Develop like we are. Like magic, like magic, like magic, war, magic.